0: From the KBIA newsroom at the Missouri School of Journalism, this is Global Journalist. I'm Sean Brinda.
1: I'm a fairly older man in a younger man's body.
0: Sean Lee served in Iraq in 2004 and later returned to serve in Afghanistan in 2010. Lee is now 36 and is a lawyer in Kansas City. But over the last few weeks, he's been plunged back into the conflict in a very personal way. On August 15th, as Kabul was falling to the Taliban, Lee received a frantic email from Said, an Afghan, who claimed to have served as his translator 12 years ago. Lee's translator remains stranded in Kabul.
2: Two nights ago, uh, I heard the gunshots just across
0: uh,
2: our street, and um, it was late night. It was 12 a.m. When I wake up in the morning, I ask people that what was there. Actually, I just step outside of my door, and I ask someone that what was that gunshot for. They said
0: uh, they have killed one of the uh, one of the American employee. On this special edition of Global Journalist, we look at the fallout of America's two-decade involvement in Afghanistan through the eyes of Missourians whose lives have been changed by it.
3: I I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly lower than normal altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but... It hit directly in the middle of uh, one of the World Trade Center towers.
4: An eyewitness on the telephone right now.
5: Jean, what can you tell us about what you saw? Uh, I can tell you that I was watching TV and there was this uh, sonic boom and the TV went out. And I got up to my window. I live in Battery Park City, right next to the Twin Towers. And I looked up and the side of the World Trade Center exploded. Breaking
6: into uh, Susan's report to give you breaking news from New York City where planes, two planes, have hit both towers of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan.
0: Most Americans would say the war in Afghanistan began on a day seared in the memory of anyone who is old enough to remember exactly where they were on September 11th, 2001. That's the day a terrorist based in remote Afghanistan turned four hijacked planes into missiles aimed at symbols of American power in New York City and Washington, D.C. Missouri School of Journalism graduate Ted Brightis was stuck in traffic near the Pentagon on his way to work at the Wall Street Journal's Washington Bureau when one of the planes hit the southwest corner of the building.
4: Over the years, I had seen hundreds of planes land at National. I knew what the flight route looked like. This was not at all a normal flight path. It was coming in much faster. It was coming in much lower. there, the, you could tell the, 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 the landing gear was was retracted. It was up. Uh, it was just it was roaring in, and I had this this moment of gloom. This you know sort of oh my god, it's gonna it's gonna hit the building, and you just you know you're just in shock. Uh, and I was close enough that when the plane crossed the road in front of me, it literally filled the windshield. That's how close I was. Oh my goodness, we're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion, this one in the nation's capital. You are looking at a scene of uh, apparent blast aftermath. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. The building just swallowed the plane in its entirety. I mean, it's a big reinforced concrete structure. Um you know, there was a there was a fireball, and I remember just punching the dashboard on my on my car just out of sort of seething exasperation um that this was
0: happening and you know, right in front of me. Fulton native Byron Bagby was inside the Pentagon when the Twin Towers were hit.
7: We knew that our nation was under attack. And about 30 minutes later a co-worker and I were standing in his office watching CNN as the, uh, that showed the second World Trade Tower being struck by the hijacked aircraft. And my friend commented that we are lucky that hadn't happened here in the Pentagon with 27,000 workers, 40,000 commuters passing through every day. Five minutes later, we heard this loud blast, and we felt this huge building shake. And we thought it may have been a truck bomb initially.
0: Bagby is now a retired Army Major General. He says he can't shake the memories of that day.
7: We'll never forget the events that took place 20 years ago on September 11th of 2001. And in fact, I keep a, an actual limestone fragment from the Pentagon that was on the outer face of the part that was destroyed. I keep that on my desk as a reminder of what happened on that horrible day.
0: Bagby lost two colleagues when the plane hit. It fell to him to notify the next of kin for one sergeant. She was a single mother. He and an army chaplain had to tell a six-year-old girl that her mom wouldn't be coming home.
7: I have never done anything harder in my entire life, intellectually, physically mentally or or emotionally. That was the hardest thing I have done in my life.
0: It did not take long to identify the perpetrators. In Kabul, Associated Press reporter Kathy Gannon received a call from the Wire Services International Editor in New York City as the attacks were taking place.
8: It was evening, my time, on September 11th, and I got a call from um, the desk in New York. Uh, Sally Jacobson was the international editor, and Sally said, "Um, There's been a plane has gone into the World Trade Center. Um, We don't know yet what it is, but wanted to. So clearly, they were thinking immediately about Afghanistan and Osama.
0: Within a year, Bagby, the general who lost two staff members at the Pentagon, would deploy to Afghanistan. He would be followed by many young Americans, some of whom made up their minds to go because of what they saw on September 11th. Sean Lee, the veteran who is now a lawyer in Kansas City, was a high school student in Jefferson City at the time.
1: I remember being in class and my teacher just wheeling a TV in and saying, you have to watch this. And it was not a class about international news. In fact, I think it was biology, but it was so important that our teacher went and got a television, wheeled it in, and made us all turn on the news. And that's when we saw it. Watching the towers fall, I I felt really, really upset. Uh, and uh, after that, I, I felt really impassioned. I felt like you know I was a young man who did not have a whole lot of Uh, direction in my life and I felt very much like I wanted to participate in world events.
0: Seven days after the attack on America, then President George W. Bush signed into law the joint resolution which authorized force against Afghanistan. While the U.S. bombing offensive began targeting Taliban assets on October 7th of 2001, it wouldn't be until one month later that the Associated Press's Kathy Gannon would witness the full brunt of the U.S.'s offensive against Taliban and Al-Qaeda forces. On November 13th, a U.S. bomber blew up a building diagonally across from the AP Bureau's office in Kabul.
8: It was empty, but it used to be belong to a Mullah dadullah, which was a Taliban leader. Um, but a 2,000-pound bomb that was kitty corner to us, so um, it blew in all uh, um, our windows and, and, and doors and the frames and blew me across the, the room. And, and uh, um, uh, I thought, because I was on the sat phone at the time, because we only had sat phones to communicate, uh, that maybe they had traced the sat phone signal and thought it was, you know, Taliban communicating or something. Um, I didn't know, you know, and so I like, ripped out all the sat phones and, uh, and everything.
0: While the October bombings of Afghanistan were the first acts of retaliation against the terrorist groups, it was not the first time the U.S. had engaged in Afghanistan. According to MU history professor Victor McFarland, the idealistic Americans who went to Afghanistan in the wake of 9-11 were walking into a quagmire created by decades of U.S. foreign policy missteps.
6: U.S. leaders didn't visit the country until the 50s. Vice President Nixon and President Eisenhower were the first uh, vice president and president to visit Afghanistan. The U.S. started giving foreign aid uh, to Afghanistan, and a big reason for that was the Cold War competition with the Soviets, uh, that the U.S. and the Soviet Union were both giving aid uh, to Afghanistan. Neither one wanted the country to be totally under the influence of the other uh, superpower.
0: Once the Soviets installed a puppet government in the late 1970s, U.S. officials started funding a rebel movement, but there was a problem with that aid, McFarland says. The United
6: States basically delegated a lot of its um, local policies in Afghanistan, a lot of its support, uh, or at least the details of its support to the insurgents. The U.S. delegated that, uh, and Pakistan decided, uh, and often the most brutal conservative uh, Islamist groups. Uh, that did not share the kind of values that the United States professed to support in its own uh, foreign policy.
1: This is the CBS Evening News. Dan Rather reporting. Good evening. The retreat of Soviet military power from Afghanistan is complete. The last of Russia's regular army invasion force is out.
0: In its eagerness to oust the Soviets in the 1970s and 80s, the U.S. may have empowered the very forces that ultimately ousted Americans from Kabul earlier this year.
6: It's also important to recognize that from the very beginning, the Taliban had major ties with elements of the Pakistani government and the Pakistani intelligence services, uh, which had been intervening in Afghanistan and supporting various Uh, Mujahideen groups and Islamist groups all the way back even before the Soviet invasion back into the 1970s. Um, Some of those people in the Pakistani intelligence services and the Pakistani military supported the Taliban.
3: It's Trevor Hook from the KBIA Newsroom, and you're listening to a special edition of Global Journalist on KBIA 91.3 FM. To listen to past episodes, you can visit globaljournalist.org. You can also find episodes on KBIA.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show.
0: St. Louis-based veteran John Seasongood says that while serving in Afghanistan, he always felt uncertain about who to trust. This was most apparent during a mission he recalls in which his unit and Afghan National Police, also known as ANP, came across an armed Taliban fighter in a ravine.
9: This bad guy was in there trying to draw us in. He had a bomb strapped to his chest to look like his gear, and he's just trying to shoot at us to get us in there. We're working with the ANP. Well, the ANP told us about this guy. Why would they know about him just randomly? Brings us over there, and they—he's like trying to get us to go in there. So there's, there's distrust there. Now I don't trust them anymore. We knew what was going on. We're smarter than this. We're trained on this. What ended up happening? They got clacked off. But boom No one got hurt because we didn't get close enough. He could have hit the button, or we could have had a bullet that hit his thing. We don't know. All I know is... Every time we were working with the A and P, they didn't respect us.
0: While situations like that put Seeson Good and his unit in extreme danger, they relied heavily upon their interpreter, who went by the nickname Doc.
9: I trusted him because he would, he would, he would, he carried this radio. Have ever been a little kid and you're, um, you have a walkie-talkie and you're listening to your friends. And you pick up other people and you can kind of speak to them. We could do that to the enemy and he would carry that radio. We would get ready to get in these situations and Doc would say, Hey, hey, hey they're talking. They're getting, they're getting, they're, they're, they see us. They see us. And he would stop us. And I'm telling you, stuff would kick off right after that. And he was like, Hey, 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 hey they, they see us. Because he, he was listening to that. We gave him a radio and he'd just walk around, listen to it when we're on patrol. That is super crucial, and he would say, you have an interpreter that makes a difference when you say, I want you to relay this message word for word exactly how I'm saying it. Exactly how I'm saying it. Not, don't make up your own narrative to be a nice guy. Say it how I want you to say it because this is the message I'm trying to convey. Doc would do that.
0: With interpreters like Doc, an armed U.S. unit could afford to feel secure. Without a way to bridge a gap between languages, U.S. soldiers could feel very uneasy very quickly. Sean Lee experienced the same uneasiness when he arrived in Afghanistan in 2010 as part of the surge that President Barack Obama ordered over the objections of his Vice President Joe Biden to battle a revived Taliban. He says the Afghans he interacted with were desperate.
1: The thing that I learned in my tours overseas is that um, hungry people are desperate and so Anybody can be turned into Taliban if they're in fear for their safety or they are starving or their family is starving. I mean, what I learned so often in those regions was that I was fighting hungry, poor people who just had been fed a bunch of propaganda by a very small group of extremists.
0: Columbia native Latavia Gibson served in Afghanistan from 2008 to 2012.
5: It makes you feel like time has stopped and you're just, you don't even know what's going on outside of that bubble that you're in and whether or not you are going to make it back. And if you don't make it back, did I get to say anything that I wanted to say to friends and family? Did I get to do everything that I wanted to do? Is this going to be the last time, you know, I get to drive a car down the road or something like that? It just really makes you appreciate life more. Um, Just the little things, like when you see people over there in that country struggling, um, it just makes you appreciate what you have here in America.
0: Sean Lee is still trying to get some of those struggling Afghans to America, like his interpreter, Saeed. But so far, he remains stranded.
2: I'm disappointed, you know, at the start of our job, when I was uh, uh, start start working uh, with the Americans, they have promised me, personally me, uh, when I passed the test and stuff, they have promised me that uh, if you support our mission, we will definitely stand on your side and we will save you. But, uh, you know, for the last 10 days, uh, I haven't received any any email or any phone calls. Before that, the embassy sent email to the interpreters that stay away from the airport. We will let you know we're not, uh, we're not uh, leaving you behind. But I think they just uh, broken the promises and no one reaches, us, no one hears. us. So we are in, in, in extremely danger.
0: We at Global Journalist reached out to government officials such as Senator Roy Blunt and members of the U.S. State Department on whether they could provide an update on Saeed's case. Neither provided a comment.
3: It's Trevor Hook from the KBIE Newsroom reminding you that you're listening to a special edition of Global Journalist on KBIA 91.3 FM. You can find previous episodes on globaljournalist.org and on kbia.org. While you're there, you can also find other podcasts and special projects from KBIA, such as the station's weekly bicentennial oral history series, Missouri on Mike, the health-focused Missouri Health Talks, and more. All this is available again at KBIA.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show.
0: In the 20 years since 9 11, the Pentagon and the New York City skyline have been repaired but will take longer to repair the spirits of the Americans who sacrificed so much in Afghanistan only to see the Taliban retake the country.
5: I guess I learned that we're the kind of nation that we try try to help as much as we can. Um, And I think now in these times, it's more of an issue of whether we should help. Um, Is it our business to help? and is it worth it to put our own um, soldiers in danger to go over there and um, help these people in these situations?
0: As for the thousands of people left in Afghanistan, women have become the most scared of what their futures may hold.
8: Um, I think that absolutely there is a tremendous fear among women, especially among young women. You know, I mean, uh, it's been 20 years. if you're 25 and in living in Kabul, going to coffee shops, you 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 don't remember, you don't know the Taliban, and, and all you know are all the stories and the and and you're terrified at the very thought, you know.
0: Hundreds of citizens who supported U.S. and NATO coalition forces fear for their lives as well, as Cease and Good can attest.
9: Anybody that was ever associated with um, coalition forces, all these commandos who trained, all these people, these good people, they're being, they're, su- they're they're surrendering to the Taliban. Hey, we're sorry. The Taliban is executing them and their families right now as we speak. What do I feel about it? Devastates me. What if you did all this hard work and someone said, ah, don't worry about that. It's nothing. We've let it go. We, we've let them win.
0: For retired Major General Bagby, the U.S. made the right decision for withdrawing from Afghanistan.
7: President Biden, uh, some Americans think that was a good decision. Some don't. I will tell you, as a person who served there, I know that I did my job while I was there. And those of us who served there in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, as well as our coalition partners, We did the military part right. We were called to go over there and fight and try to make Afghanistan more secure. We did that. And I think that tactically, we did a a very good job of uh, performing our military duties. I, I think that the one flaw in the overall strategy would have been, in my opinion, is trying to nation build in Afghanistan, where one of our main themes was to make Afghanistan a country that had a western-style democracy, Afghanistan um, is a very tribal and provincial country. They've never had a real central government. They the thirty four provinces and the tribal regions is, is basically how Afghanistan is organized. And we go in and try to make them, in my view, a Western-style democracy. We've been there for 20 years. We've spent $2.2 trillion. We've lost 2,461 Americans killed and over 20,000 that were wounded in in, in Afghanistan. And my view is that in 20 years, um, it's time for us to, to stop the nation building and withdraw.
0: Sean Lee is happy the war in Afghanistan is over.
1: Violence begets violence. You know, you, you go and you, you win a battle and shoot some people. Well, those people got friends, they got family. Now there's footage of it all over the Internet. That it's going to be used as propaganda tools. I mean, I'm not criticizing, you know, the justice that was dished out. But I do want to call attention to the fact that this is a cycle of violence. Um, And I'm very cognizant of that because I don't want my son to have to fight my wars.
0: That's it for this edition of Global Journalist. Thanks to audio engineer Trevor Hook for producing this episode. Thanks to KOMU8 reporter Jessica Fitzgerald for helping with this project. Our program is supported by executive producer Kathy Kiley, Lee Hill's chair in free press studies at the Missouri School of Journalism. Music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. If you would like to listen to more programs such as this, please head to our website www.globaljournalist.org or look for us in the NPR One app. For all of us at Global Journalist, I'm Sean Brinda. Thanks for listening.